last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Dynasty League enthusiasts will be drafting him ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster. And that is when we strike! And are you talking about Isaiah Burst that's in the NFL right now? And we want 10% less cursing. Like, you don't have that level of control of the podcast. It's fucking free! And this episode is going to be like anal sex with a significantly less attractive woman. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And once again, with me is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What is going on, Matt? How you feeling? I feel great. I feel invigorated. I feel at one with the universe. I feel rehabilitated. I was anxious the last couple weeks. Could you tell? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I went to fuck rehab. What? What did you say? I was intoxicated by the word fuck. Remember the last show we did? We broke all the records for the word fuck. We said fuck more times in that show than we have in all the other shows, all the other Sonic Truth episodes combined. And that's on me. That was my fault. I had to look in the mirror because what happens is slowly but surely, it's just like alcoholism. Oh my gosh. You take a sip and it feels good. Then you have four beers. and It feels great. Next time out, you have six beers. Then you're drinking on the weekends, doing the Sonic Truth episode, <laughs> dropping a few F-bombs and they have power. It feels good. A well-placed fuck has just the perfect amount of emphasis. But then all of a sudden, you start to get more comfortable with it. Next thing you know, you're drinking every night. You're going on the Sonic Truth podcast, dropping six, seven, eight, nine, ten fucks. And pretty soon, you're no longer feeling the fuck buzz that you had before. You're overusing it because it's intoxicating. It's like a drug. So much power infused in that word. Fuck. So I ended up overusing it. I overdid it and I needed to get help and I feel better now. I have come to an epiphany and the last couple shows I've done on the Roto Underworld radio channel, I have refrained from overusing the F word. Mind of Mansion show. I did the monologue show earlier this week. Zero fucks. Given. We're editing that out. That didn't make sense. Oh, God. And then this previous show, the most recent show that we did interviewing Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap one fuck and it was in the final sentence of the show that's an efficient use of fuck i was an inefficient fuck user for many shows that culminated in the last episode of the sonic truth where i overused it it was embarrassing members of my family cornered me asked me why are you saying this word so often daddy this is embar you're embarrassing your family you're embarrassing yourself you don't need to use this word so often. It's become a crutch, and it's lost its power. It used to be when you needed it, it was there, and you could fire it, and you could level a whole room. But you've overused it, and there's no more bullets in the chamber. It's like shooting a water gun now. Me saying fuck was like shooting a water gun. You just would roll right past it. Before, I would say fuck, and you would stop in your tracks no longer. I'm getting that back. I'm getting my fuck groove back. 
<laughs> and that means less fucks from now on. More judicious with the fucks. That's uh, that's good to hear. Last episode was heavy with the fucks, and I couldn't stop, Nate. I couldn't stop saying the word. I was intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> I realize the addiction tied to it, Matt. I See, listeners wouldn't know this, and maybe you don't either because I really don't swear that much with you, but I probably drop the word fuck a hundred times a day. Easily. Easily. But I don't drop it one time on this episode. Not one time. What, do you want a cookie? No, I like to keep it clean, Matt. I like to keep it clean for this show, for the people. Soft anal references, but you're a better user of the word fuck. Talk about anal sex when it's not appropriate. <laughs> Heavy-handed, they say. I predicted 20 years from now that the word fuck will be less controversial than ass, damn, and shit. That's how overused it is in today's lexicon. And I'm not going to go down that road. I want to continue to harness the power of the F word only when it is most needed. Like a superhero arriving at the doorstep of this show. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Good face. So you're gonna regulate the usage to to reinforce the power in it. We're gonna we're gonna bring back the power to it by using it less, but using it when most important. That's what I said. Perfect. You're listening to the show. This is the first time. I'm just bringing it back. Want everybody to just get wow. the thesis. How does it feel to listen to the show for the first time as it's happening? I don't even recognize your voice. It's real weird for me right now. Oh, you're picking this up. Listening comprehension. Nate Liss. Wow. 101. Everyone's improved today. This is self-improvement <laughs> day with the Sonic Truth podcast. Uh, I got something I want to talk about. I don't know if you're interested. I know you made a post about it on Twitter a couple months back, Matt. Now, maybe not even a couple months. Maybe it was a few weeks. I don't keep track of dates, time. I don't wear a watch. It's cool. Samaje Piran. It's really not cool. You're not cool. No, no, it's cool. If you were wondering, just in the deepest recesses <laughs> of your mind, if you, Nate Liss, are cool, you're not. I know I'm cool. So here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, you posted a picture of Samaj P. Ryan doing a flex, showing the guns, Oof. and a conversation started between me, you, and a few other people on Twitter. That's a strong dude right there. It is a strong dude, and... From that conversation, people started making a hypothesis. How many reps could he bench? People were coming in showing max benches and things that he's done. And people thought that potentially he could bench 40 reps of 225 at the combine. I was hoping for 35. Break the record for running backs, at least. I'm just telling you firsthand, I thought 40 would be unbelievable. And I wanted to preach the muscular fatigue. It's It sneaks up on you. And Samaj P. Ryan today at 200 and 33 pounds, bench 225, 30 times. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Are you let down? We're playing the loser game show sound. That's a letdown. Either he breaks the record for running backs and exceeds Jarek McKinnon's 32 reps, or I'm not interested. The guy that looks like that, he looks like he could bench... The world, how he couldn't bench 225 more times than Antone Smith, Niall Davis, Jarek McKinnon, Shane Vereen. It's perplexing to me, but he's still one of the best running backs in this class. The fact that he benched 30 reps does not change my perception of Samaj P. Ryan at all. I thought he was great two years ago. We were talking about Samaj P. Ryan on this show last year. I was tweeting about him two years ago because he, like James Conner, a running back we're going to talk about in a few minutes, are huge running backs that I believe will run fast. 
And there's a bunch of those backs, and that's why we're most interested in the 40 times at this particular combine. From Leonard Fournette, he could have the best speed score in the entire playerprofiler.com database, to Samaj P. Ryan, to James Conner, to Elijah Hood. This could be the most athletic running back class in the history of the NFL draft. And and Deontay Foreman's in there too. But the thing about Leonard Fournette is, surprisingly, his dad the other day said he was weighing in at 227. What's up with Leonard Fournette's dad? Why is he suddenly the go-to analyst when it comes to Leonard Fournette's measurables? I've never heard of a dad outside of Tom Brady's dad be more frequently quoted than Leonard Fournette's dad. Well, what about Dalvin Cook's dad? Where does he stand on this? How about Corey Davis's mom? How does she feel about his athleticism? <laughs> Who cares what Leonard Fournette's dad thinks? Hold on. All right. Well, the point was that Leonard Fournette's father, granted, I have no idea how how credible he is. Granted, he's his father. He said he checked in at 227. He could run in the four threes. But what I wanted to say, Mike Matt. Mike Williams' grandfather said that he's going to run a sub 4440. And Juju Smith-Schuster's great aunt claimed that he's going to run a sub-11 flat agility score. How does his aunt know what an agility score is? I don't know how she knows what an agility score is, but she knows agility scores. The Smith-Schuster family are experts in agility scores. They use playerprofiler.com regularly. Long-winded, circling back, Leonard Fournette weighed in officially at the Combine at 240 pounds. Two. 40. Are you freaking kidding me? Yes, we have some size speed specimens in this class unlike we've ever seen. This is very exciting. Dude, heaviest running back to weigh in. He's the heaviest running back. So I I don't know what he's going to do. You would think that for the matter of testing that you would want to be 225, 230, 240? Listen, we record this show on Thursdays. It's unfortunate we record the show on Thursdays this particular week because it's going to be posted on Saturday. And so we're going to be behind. We're not going to be real time with the information specifically as it relates to these athletic measurables. So can we please just move on from speculating about what a guy might run and just talk about the athletic measurables on the next show, please? I don't know if I want to. Please, please. I'm not interested in hearing your speculative analysis about what Leonard Fournette might run based on what his dad said. That's not interesting. I think Leonard Fournette's trying to throw his draft stock so he can go to a good team. I think that's what's going on here. Checks in at 240. He wants to run a little slower. I think he wants to go into the 20s. That's what I'm seeing. You believe Leonard Fournette is sandbagging the combine because he doesn't want to go early in the draft and make more money. Yes, If you believe that, you're an idiot. I don't know if I totally believe it. Okay, when you brought the money thing up, that shot a hole in my theory. I I understand that the... No one goes to the NFL scouting combine with the intention of failing. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. This is the place that you gather as an incoming professional to an elite society. And it is the primary vehicle for which the keepers of this society can evaluate your ability. Right. Of all the times and all the places that you would think that Leonard Fournette would not give 100% effort, it's not going to be the NFL scouting combine. Of course he is going to give 100% effort. And of course he has arrived at the NFL scouting combine prepared, well-trained. It's just the fact that he's been a 240-pound back 
for years. His weight was underreported by LSU. Now we're seeing reality. He's not like a boxer doing a reverse weigh-in, eating extra and intentionally gaining weight to throw scouts off. Do you know how ridiculous you sound? There's no advantage for him to show up at 240 pounds when he'd be better suited at 230. There's no need. Are you an athletic trainer? Is that your job? Is that what you do? Are you a trainer? I could get him down. He shouldn't be 240. I'll tell you what, Deontay Foreman weighed 249 this year, checked in at 233. That's a benefit to him. You are wearing one of those douchey weightlifting gray hoodies. I don't even know. It's just a regular hoodie. No, that's not a regular hoodie. That's one of those oversized weightlifter hoodies. You might as well cut the sleeves off. You are wearing a hoodie yourself that is zipped halfway down right now. It's like the same hooded sweatshirt. Pot calling the kettle black right now. It's the same jacket. What's the difference with mine? Because mine's zipped up all the way. This is not a visual medium. I can paint whatever picture I want if I want to move on to a new topic. (laughs) All right, let's move forward then. I'm going to be hostile to you as long as you want to speculate about what guys might do tomorrow in the 40-yard dash or the vertical jump or whatever events that family members have planned out for them. (laughs) Okay, all right, let's move on. I heard you on the Dynasty Dummies podcast talking about taking Le'Veon Bell over Julio Jones. I thought you were Mr. Zero RB. This is a question I'm interested in. This is a topic I'd like to discuss. Yes. Also, Dynasty League enthusiasts are not involved in rookie drafts right now. They're doing startup drafts if they're doing any drafts at all. The only Dynasty drafts that are happening right now are startup drafts. So this is a more relevant question than you analyzing what Christian McCaffrey's niece thinks he's going to post in the three-cone drill. (laughs) She said he's going to do well. I talked to her on Twitter. (laughs) Criticizing Christian McCaffrey's weigh-in. Should have came in at 208 pounds. Not sure what he was doing there. If I was training Christian McCaffrey, he would have benched it 10 more times. Doesn't know what he's doing. Are you finished? Physiological expert Nate List. Is it my hoodie? Needs to teach these NFL draft prospects (laughs) how to take care of their body and how to train them to maximize their athleticism. They're missing out not getting the instruction that they need from Nate Liss. Hey, Deontay Foreman came out in an interview recently and said that at Texas, he had nobody there to give him nutrition tips. So it's true. It's out there, man. There's people that aren't taking care of these athletes, believe it or not. Someone needs guidance. Strength and plyometric training techniques with Nate Liss. This is more interesting. Why did I draft Le'Veon Bell over Julio Jones? Because everyone in this dynasty startup that I participated in recently, it's called the Ultimate Dynasty Podcast League. So it's myself and a bunch of other dynasty podcast hosts. Were you invited? I didn't get an invite to that. Well, I was invited. And other dynasty podcast hosts from shows like the Dynasty Trade Calculator, the Dynasty Happy Hour, the Dynasty Dummies... The Dynasty Gurus, Under the Helmet. I haven't heard of most of these. Under the Helmet was represented. Dynasty Life Podcast. You know all these, Nate. Oh, God. Yeah, I've heard of them all. You're fans of all these shows. Stop lying. So I'm drafting at mid to late first round. Julio Jones is on the board. Le'Veon Bell's on the board. It's between those two players, the obvious next selections. And Kyle from the Dynasty Dummies assumed I was going to take Julio Jones, so he already had Le'Veon Bell queued up and just 
It's what he expected would happen. He already penciled Le'Veon Bell onto his roster. Next thing he knows, he has Julio Jones. I have Le'Veon Bell. And he was befuddled because he thought of me as Mr. Zero RB because on the other show that we do, the Mind of Mansion show on the Roto Underworld Radio channel, we talk a lot about Zero RB. I'm a Zero RB zealot in a redraft context, but not in a Dynasty League context because Dynasty and redraft are very different. In one format, you own the player for life. In the other format, you roster the player for one season. And that makes all the difference when you're comparing wide receivers to running backs. Because I do not implement zero RB in Dynasty. More often, I implement robust running back. You don't want to do a value-based approach in any format. You want to have a strategy. Just taking best player available is not a strategy. It does not account for positional volatility and fragility, and it doesn't take advantage of any of the game theory aspects of drafting. So just going down the list, best player available, that's never the right approach. Have a strategy, and usually that means accumulating a number of players at a particular position in swaths throughout the draft. And in this startup, I surprise people by drafting numerous running backs in the early rounds. Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson. And I was relatively thin at the wide receiver position. And this was befuddling to anyone that's watched me draft in a redraft context. Complete opposite world. Why is that? Well, when we look at this Bell versus Julio Jones decision, it's illuminating. First of all, Bell's three years younger, a full three years younger. Bell just turned 25. Julio Jones just turned 28. Last season, Le'Veon Bell scored 26.4 fantasy points per game in comparison to Julio Jones' 18.6 fantasy points per game. That's an almost 8 points per game differential. Now, on playerprofiler.com, we also have a metric called value over stream. Your fantasy points per game above and beyond the most likely replacement on the waiver wire. Le'Veon Bell's value over stream was the greatest in the history of playerprofiler.com. Plus 17.8 value over stream. I've never seen a number that high. That was bigger than David Johnson because Le'Veon Bell played less games. So his number was higher. Julio Jones' value over stream was a relatively modest 7.8 when compared to Le'Veon Bell. So let me get this straight. Le'Veon Bell has a Voss value over stream 10 points higher than Julio Jones. And he's three years younger. And there's a debate about which player I should select. Hell no! Le'Veon Bell's at the age apex. He's in his peak. Julio Jones is past his prime. Last season was prime Julio Jones. As of 2017, he is past his prime. He is on the downslope of his career. Le'Veon Bell remains at the peak of his powers. So for just those reasons alone, just based on value, Le'Veon Bell has an incredible advantage. Now, why would you potentially avoid Le'Veon Bell in redraft? Because the running back position is more fragile on a year-to-year basis. And by fragile, I don't mean injury-prone. I mean running back projections are more uncertain year-to-year. There's four main reasons for this. First reason is running back is an interdependent position. A decline in overall team efficiency throttles the running back production more dramatically than the wide receiver production. Secondly, running back and offensive line exist in a symbiotic relationship. Ineffective run blocking cripples running back production. We've talked about this. The thought exercise. What happens if Jarek McKinnon and Ezekiel Elliott trade places? 
How does Elliott do on Minnesota with the worst run-blocking offensive line in football? How does Jarek McKinnon do as a bell cow for Dallas? Think about it. The reasons for that disparity are offensive efficiency and offensive line effectiveness. Those things impact running back output more than they impact wide receiver production. Running backs are also more susceptible to being influenced by external forces like game flow. There are games in which the running back, like a LeGarrette Blunt, for example, gets very few touches because the Patriots are losing and they're not on the field in the second half. That doesn't happen to the wide receiver. And finally, running backs are more injury prone year to year. So you add all those reasons up, you stack those factors up. It's easy to understand why it's harder to project annual running back production. So if I think Le'Veon Bell is going to score 20 fantasy points next year, and I have a sophisticated formula to calculate that, that projection is still more fragile than my wide receiver projections. It still has less certainty. It still needs to be discounted because there are so many things that can go wrong with Le'Veon Bell in 2017 more than can go wrong with Antonio Brown. So how did your wide receivers end up then on that roster? You're saying you were thin, so where did you end up when you ended up with Tevin Coleman and Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell? So what we found is that in a dynasty context, year-to-year volatility is not nearly the same concern that it is in seasonal because you own Le'Veon Bell for life. Even if Le'Veon Bell underwhelms next season because of some of the forces I just outlined, he could easily bounce back and be the number one running back in football the following year. We've seen this with Jamal Charles. Out for a full season, and then he plays the next season, and he's the number one running back in fantasy, and then he's out the following season. But you had him for that one season where he was the number one running back in fantasy, and if you have a Jamal Charles or a Le'Veon Bell in a season in which they're performing at a high level, and they're healthy the entire season, that's a league winner. So for one year, you had Jamal Charles league winner. That's actually better than having another player who's performing above replacement, but he's not winning you a league in any given year. So in that way, sometimes the high annual volatility that is inherent in the running back position helps you in dynasty in a way that it can cripple you in redraft. Because in redraft, you want to stay away from uncertainty and the higher bust risk in the early rounds. Not so in Dynasty Leagues. If a player busts in 2017, okay, he could easily be the number one running back in fantasy the following year. I'll ride that volatility happily in Dynasty. I am avoiding it in redraft. And I had Rich Rebar on the Roto Underworld show last week, and he talked about the nature of the wide receiver position and how it's changing. Because quarterbacks are less inclined to throw wide receivers open and throw into coverage. What's happening across the league is you're seeing more quarterbacks like Marcus Mariota have to see throws before they make them. And what happens in that case? It's a boon for targets to the WR2 and the WR3. So the slot receivers and the auxiliary receivers are receiving a higher target share at the expense of the number one option. The primary receivers across the league, we saw this last year, their target share declined even though the run-pass ratio in the NFL was never more skewed to the pass than it was in 2016. We had the highest pass-to-run ratio in 2016 that we ever have, yet the primary wide receivers across the NFL saw their target share decline. What does that mean? It means that there is a smoothing out of production across the wide receiver position. The wide receiver position is 
is becoming deeper and deeper and deeper. But the fact that the third receiver on a given team is outperforming previous year expectations doesn't matter in redraft. We're not rostering those wide receivers anyway. They're on the waiver wire. That's the stream in redraft. But in dynasty leagues, they're much deeper. Whereas a redraft leagues, 18 players. See, dynasty leagues, 28, 30, 35 players deep. So the dynasty leaguer can leverage this incredible depth that we're now seeing at the wide receiver position in a way that a redraft team owner could not. So that's what I did in this Ultimate Dynasty Podcast League. I leveraged an understanding that the wide receiver position is as deep as it's ever been. Knowing I could get proven producers at the wide receiver position long after all the reliable running backs were off the board. Knowing that, you're incentivized to draft running backs with your early round draft capital. Lock in the potential league winners, the Le'Veon Bells who give you a competitive advantage in the years that they're performing up to expectations, and then bolster your roster with wide receiver twos, hoard wide receivers in the later rounds. That's what I did with Le'Veon Bell, Tevin Coleman, Melvin Gordon, Duke Johnson, top heavy at the running back position. And then deep at the wide receiver position, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, Eli Rogers, Tajay Sharp, Willie Sneed. And by accumulating depth at the wide receiver position, it allows me to take advantage of the serendipity that happens. And already today, rumors have surfaced that Brandon Cooks could be traded. And who does that help? More than anyone else, Willie Sneed dynasty owners. Yeah, the Brandon Cooks news does help the Willie Sneed dynasty owners. This Matt lays back and it looks like he's praying to some god. Um, no, I never really thought about it that way. I mean, that that's a that's a long explanation of it, but it's really in depth for people that haven't thought about it that way either. That have dynasty drafts coming up. Le'Veon Bell is a game changer. Like David Johnson is a game changer, and a few others. I don't know how many running backs on your list you would do that with. I'm sure it's a short list. Three, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott. That's the list. Sure. So exactly. So that's it. So otherwise, at that point, you're taking the best wide receiver available. So like at what point, when you're you're saying you took Melvin Gordon, like at what point do you take Melvin Gordon then? Oh, Melvin Gordon was the value pick of the draft. I think if you asked any of these drafters, which pick was the best value player, it was the podfather getting Melvin Gordon. I drafted Melvin Gordon in round five. Okay. Yeah. See, so that's great. I mean, that's exactly it. So you get a guy that can do everything and is expanding every year and getting better every year. And they clearly want to focus with him. But yeah, it's a great point that you made about getting those wide receiver twos, getting those Kenny Stills, getting those Willie Sneeds, getting these guys later that are being kind of pushed to the side because they're not the notable wide receiver ones. They're not the perceived heavy targeted receiver in these offenses, but as NFL teams are dispersing the targets, you're seeing guys like Muhammad Sanu rise and other players that you could probably get later. And you get these running backs that you want like Le'Veon Bell. And it's a cool way to build around it. I've never done that personally because I'm always afraid of that discrepancy of points, right? Because you don't have to put a name or a face to these players. We can just put values. And in the end, you need X value greater than what your opponent posts. So for me, my fear is always that I'm not going to get that production 
out of these wide receiver twos because at times the production is volatile. It's, it's less predictable at times. But if you've ever owned Julio Jones, you know that Julio can get you 26 today and eight points tomorrow. So it's just as volatile with the wide receiver one. Julio Jones in particular was an interesting case because he himself has always been volatile. And I don't believe that he is going to have the same lifetime value as Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown were there, I would have pushed the button on Antonio Brown because I think Antonio Brown will have a Jerry Rice-like career arc. I think Julio Jones is more similar to Calvin Johnson, that he relies on explosive athleticism, and that is more prone to erode faster than the Antonio Brown skill set. Now, I should also add a caveat that I traded some of my early picks, and I traded back. So that's why my roster was constructed the way it was. My second pick was Marcus Mariota because it is a super flex league. Mm. So I want to make sure people know that you know Melvin Gordon was pushed down primarily because the super flex aspect of it created a run on quarterbacks. Okay, that makes sense because saying that you got Gordon in the fifth seems late in a dynasty draft. But yeah, when quarterbacks are getting pushed up that far, that makes sense. There was a premium on quarterbacks. It was a huge premium on wide receivers. I was thrilled to get Stephon Diggs where I did. And then to have Melvin Gordon sitting there, I was ecstatic to draft him there because I'm trying to create a running back core that's oozing upside. That's what I want in my dynasty startup. And I get that with Le'Veon Bell, Tevin Coleman, Melvin Gordon. These are young running backs. Duke Johnson, running backs that are 24 years or younger Le'Veon Bell just turned 25, so I have a young, explosive running back core. That's what I'm actually going to build around with these wide receiver pieces that I can start any given week. Why not Cole Beasley? Cole Beasley, one of the more underrated wide receivers in the NFL, a consistent producer, one of the league's leaders in catch rate last year. There's no reason to think that Cole Beasley won't be a top 40 wide receiver for the next few years. So I'm fine collecting a bunch of top 40 wide receivers and then having my point center be the running back position in dynasty it's counterintuitive for those that are used to viewing fantasy football through a redraft prism but i think it's the optimal approach to building a roster that's designed to win now and win five years from now because some of those wide receivers are going to hit And I think a lot of times people don't take a step back and just accept the fact that, yeah, sure, it's not sexy to start Jeremy Macklin and to start perhaps Michael Crabtree. Eli Rogers. Eli Rogers, right. It's not sexy to have those guys in your lineup. You feel like there's a deficiency before they even play a snap that week. Deshaun Jackson used to be sexy. He did used to be sexy. Used to be. Not anymore. Jermaine Curse had a little day in the sun. Oh, stop it. Why You can't equate Jermaine Curse and Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> oh, come on. Are you kidding me? I've got to bring up some Seahawks every once in a while, right? Is that okay? Can I, can I live a little? Can I live? The point is, Matt. That's like equating Michael Jackson and <laughs> Justin Bieber. Oh, <laughs> what? Come on. But Bieber and Jackson is similar to Deshaun Jackson and Jermaine Curse? Yeah, Jermaine Curse had a moment in music history in the Super Bowl, juggling a ball off his knee, off his face mask, and achieved one of the more spectacular plays in Super Bowl history and faded into obscurity like Justin Bieber. Michael Jackson will live on forever. Tread lightly, bro. Are you saying that Justin Bieber has fallen off? Is that what you're (laughs) saying right now? (laughs) Easy now. Easy. (laughs) 
<laughs> Pump the brakes. <laughs> Bieber is alive and well. The point is, Matt. So is Jermaine Curse. And neither one of them are relevant at the moment. The point is that sometimes it's not sexy to start these guys in your roster. But if you're willing to find these value players and start them as your core group and build around these young, explosive running backs like you did, you can have a team that thrives for a long time and you're going to get a ton of value because you're right, the Cole Beasleys and guys like that really do fall because, again, I just think that people look at it like, okay, that's not the sexy name. He's not Des Bryant. He's not the number one on this team. I'm going to wait or I'm going to pass on him or someone else, and they get overlooked. You know who else fell in this draft? It's a tight end premium, 1.5 point per reception for tight ends. Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph was available late. I mean, I locked in Tyler Eifert earlier, but rounds were going by. I rarely ever do this. Almost never do I actually trade up. Ew. Trading up? Ew. Gross. (laughs) Gross. I acquired a first round pick in 2018 in order to trade back earlier in the draft. That's why I didn't have a third rounder. But I actually traded up because I just couldn't take Kyle Rudolph continuing to be available. Kyle Rudolph, who led the league in tight end receptions last year. How? How is he available? He's in his prime. He's essentially a less athletic version of Tyler Eifert available many rounds later. Didn't make any sense. And I want to make one more observation from this team, from this roster. The last running back I selected was Shane Vereen. And I did an analysis of the Dynasty Rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. The best Dynasty Rankings in the world are found there. Go there and subscribe to the rankings today. If you like this podcast, you must subscribe to the rankings. It is required as part of your listenership. In analyzing the Player Profiler Rankings versus the DLF, Dynasty League Football Consensus, the widest gap at the running back position. Running backs that I was more bullish on than consensus, Shane Vereen. The disparity was over 25 slots. Wow. Because Shane Vereen is a productive satellite back whenever he's healthy. Shane Vereen has one of the highest Spark X scores in the playerprofiler.com database. He's still well under 30 years old. Shane Vereen is going to have a Darren Sproles-like career arc. There's no reason to think that he'll be flushed out of the league anytime soon. He's going to continue to be a reliable PPR league producer for the next five years. How can you not draft Shane Vereen once you get into round 13, 14, 15? The fact that Shane Vereen continues to linger in draft rooms is stunning to me. I can't believe how quickly fantasy gamers soured on Shane Vereen. Why? Paul Perkins? That's the guy that you're thinking is going to usurp Shane Vereen? You think Paul Perkins receiving skills or anything close to Shane Vereen? Do you think that... Paul Perkins is going to be in there in the two-minute drill. Paul Perkins is going to be in there in the hurry-up offense on passing downs. No, it's going to be Shane Vereen for the foreseeable future in these high-leverage situations in New York. It's the best value running back in Dynasty at this moment, Shane Vereen. And Shane Vereen's proved it everywhere. And I know that Paul Perkins hype is really going through the roof right now, but... 
Shane Vereen has been outstanding, like you said, as a satellite back everywhere he's went. And I don't know what his current ADP is. I haven't looked. I know DLF normally does an ADP thing every month. But I'd be curious to see because, yeah, he seems like another one of those names where he's kind of being pushed to the wayside because it's it's not a sexy name. And people probably just assume that he's not going to have a role as the lead back or even as that sort of highlighted third down back. There was a week in 2016 where Shane Vereen was that free square DFS running back that everyone had on their rosters. It was the week in which Rashad Jennings was out. Shane Vereen was scheduled to start, and everyone was playing Shane Vereen in DFS. What happened to those days? Everyone loved playing Shane Vereen. It was like a couple months ago. What happened? I'm going to talk some trash to my league mates about how I own Shane Vereen in every league and that I've outmaneuvered them with my cagey Shane Vereen acquisitions across all leagues. I can't wait. I'm going to pull up that local app that we talked about in the last show, L-O-K-L. Go to the app store, download it now, and I'm just going to send out messages, bing, 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 to all my leagues on the local app. Have you gotten the local app yet? Did you download that? I have not gotten the local app yet, Matt. I have not downloaded it. Why have you not done that? Another requirement of listenership for the show, A, get the Dynasty rankings, B, download local. How did you not do it? Well, I don't listen to the show, so... (laughs) (laughs) That was good. I appreciate that. Thank you. That might be your best line in show history right there. Appreciate that it, That got me. That was right under my ribs. It was a <laughs> funny good. zone right under my ribs where you got me on that one. Uh, so go on. The local app? I love the local app. You should get it. I know people say, well, I have Voxer. I have my Voxer app with my league mates for Dynasty. No. Voxer is what people were using, and then local came out, and they made it even easier to set up groups, even easier to set up one-on-one channels within groups to have trade talks. So try local, see if you like it. It's evolution. We're always looking for the new app, the next new thing. What's the new, new thing? Well, the new, new thing is local. Get it. All right, Matt, do you want to get into a buzzard email? Yes. I thought you hated buzzard emails. No, no, no. I love buzzards. I love the buzzards out there, the buzzard community. I love you guys. Keep emailing us. I read them all. I think a lot about your emails, too, before I respond. Yes, please continue. And by the way, make sure you get our rankings and download local. (laughs) All right. I kind of think you're not going to like this one. So we got a buzzard email. Um, You can contact the show, sonictruthpod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, sonictruthpod on Twitter. And here's what it said, Matt. You guys aren't even going to talk about running backs anymore. Did you just forget about them? All you do is talk about wide receivers that nobody cares about. All you guys do. (laughs) You only do that. It's all you do. This extremism, the buzzard rhetoric. You only do this or you never do that. Nonsense. We spent the first two shows... Talking about running backs, the next two shows talking about wide receivers. What are you talking about? We've had, It's been an equal split. If you want to talk about tight ends or quarterbacks, then yes, we have neglected those positions. True, fair, guilty as charged, but not the running back position. But this is the most athletic running back class of all time, and we haven't even seen them test yet, and I already know this. 
It's also incredibly deep. So even though we've talked about a lot of rookie running backs, there's still a number that we have yet to talk about. There's one in particular, Elijah Hood, that I know you want to talk about before Mm. he tests at the Combine because he has your juices flowing. Elijah Hood is one of the more special athletes in this class, and I don't know if a lot of people know about him. Um, North Carolina running back didn't have an outstanding season here just last season. Um, 858 rushing yards, but 5.9 yards per carry, 8 touchdowns, 25 receptions, played less games than he did as a sophomore in 2015. 858 yards, 8 touchdowns, 25 receptions for only 142 yards receiving. Play the loser game show sound. I'm not going to play the sound because he still rushed for 5 points. I'm going to play the sound. I'm the producer of the show now. You gave up production. Oh, God. Say last year. You were the producer last year. I'm the producer this year. You no longer have final cut decision making for the show. So if I want to put in a loser game show sound, I'm going to put in a loser game show sound. There's nothing you can do about it. Zero. Like you heard in the outtakes last week where I took little sounds that you made and I strung them together and made you sound ridiculous. I can do that because I have final edit rights to the show. The final cut is determined by Matt Kelly and Matt Kelly only. I don't ask for Nate Liss's input. Oh, God. You come on, you host the show, you say, hey, what's going on, everybody? Matt, how you doing? We talk football, and then you're done. You go on with your life. No more responsibilities for Nate Liss. So you're not going to control when and where in the show a loser game show sound might emanate. Okay, fine. You can drop a loser game show sound, but I want to take you back to his sophomore season because that is really impressive. 1,463 rush yards, 6.7 yards per carry, 17 touchdowns. Right? It's an impressive time. So in 2013... At the opening, the Nike opening, where they do the spark testing, Elijah Hood turns some serious heads. And, and here's why, not just because what you see on film is impressive, but let me drop some numbers on you. What's the root of that phrase, turn heads? Why would he turn heads? Wouldn't the heads be staring at him while he's working out? Would they be turned talking to others? And then he would do something impressive, and then everyone would turn back and face him because it was so impressive? Yeah. Is that the turning of the head, or is there another reason why people's heads are turning? No, that's that's right. I think when something magnificent is happening next to you, I think it goes back to a beautiful woman, right? Of course, you're standing, you're talking, and there's a girl who's so attractive that she turns her head, and you look, unless you're married, and you look another direction. Or whatever you're supposed to do to not start an argument or a fight or whatever it is. Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? I think they already have. I think long ago, long, long ago, Matt, when I was talking about Leonard Fournette at 240 and all my fitness background, I picture them picturing me in my fitness attire, 1980s style. Douchey hoodie. 
hoodie. I don't understand. It's I'll burn this hoodie. I don't want to go through this again. Cut the sleeves off to get it over with. That would be the ultimate. All right. I'm getting back to Elijah Hood. So in his spark competition performance, he placed fifth overall at 221 pounds. Elijah Hood right now, and we were going to talk about this in college at North Carolina. I believe his college website bio said that he was in the low 220s at the combine. He weighed in at 232. He's another one of these big backs, but at 221 at the Nike Spark competition, he ran a 448 electric timed 42 shuttle, 36 inch vert, and he had the 42.5 foot powerball toss. He put up huge numbers. He was one of the highest spark scores. And I'm confident that even at 10 more pounds than he is now, he's gonna turn heads with what he's going to do at the combine. He could be a sub four or five guy. He could vert again, 35, 36, 37 inch. He's going to be an impressive athlete. And again, you go back to a sophomore season, you pair these two things together, young production, high-end production with superior athleticism in a frame that's 230 pounds. And you can have a special player. He looks like a more athletic version of James Conner. So Elijah Hood and James Conner are my premier late round rookie draft targets. Third round of a rookie draft. I'm targeting Elijah Hood. I'm targeting James Conner because these are both big backs that will test well. Incredible size adjusted athleticism. That's what we want in our running backs. Size adjusted athleticism. James Conner, Elijah Hood, they both bring that to the table. And you look at the production profiles, they're almost identical. As sophomores, that's when they set their career highs in yardage. Elijah Hood, 1463 as a sophomore. James Conner, 1765 as a sophomore. And yes, it's impressive. Elijah Hood, 17 touchdowns as a sophomore. James Conner, 26. But also their sophomore seasons, they weren't catching a lot of passes. And an interesting thing happened in their final seasons. James Conner had a senior season because his junior season was derailed by a torn ACL and a cancer diagnosis, which he has since defeated. James Conner rehab from a torn ACL while undergoing chemotherapy. Think about that. He beat cancer. He beat reconstructive knee surgery. I think he can beat NFL defenders. So I'm a believer in James Conner. Happy to draft him in the third round of rookie drafts. Happy to draft Elijah Hood in the third round of rookie drafts because Elijah Hood does not have that injury history. And he's younger. He's one of those running backs that's coming out early. There are a few running backs, few prospects at all on the offensive side of the ball that are coming out early this year. Elijah Hood happens to be one. And in his final season, similar to James Conner, that was the season in which each running back eclipsed 20 receptions. So Connor and Hood both demonstrated fluidity in the passing game, some dynamism in space in their final season, which alleviated all the concerns I had about their games. I love James Connor. I love Elijah Hood, and I cannot wait to see how they test. Those of you that are listening to the show already know the answer. That's sad. I know. I wish we recorded a little bit later. But James Conner, you're right. He came from a pretty bad situation and fought his way back. Pretty bad? All right. That, pretty bad situation? That's an insensitive usage of word. It, pretty bad situation. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, the whole cancer thing. It was a terrible situation. But he rebounded from it. He fought through it. You know, not terrible. It's just cancer. I've seen worse. Are you done? Are you Are you finished with this? 
The thing about James Conner is when he was in college, there was reports that he was as heavy as 250 pounds. And and who knows what state he was in at the time, if he was rehabbing and trying to come back and, and there was weight gain, who knows? But his official weight, as he's weighed in at the combine as it is today, and again, like Matt said, you're going to already know all these answers eventually, but 233 pounds today and six foot two. So he's a big guy. I mean, even at 233, he's a big guy. And when I watched him on film, he ran with a little bit of wiggle and he did have some impressive straight line speed. And when I watched him, I, I couldn't tell again. I was assuming, was he 250? Was he high 230s? You knew he was well above 230. But there was a couple of touchdowns where I actually saw him outrun the secondary for a long distance. So you know he's got some long speed. You'd expect Connor to be a power back too, based on his measurables, but he does a really good job of deflecting tacklers, using good running angles and solid footwork. And he has enough power to push the pile on the goal line, but he also runs with finesse. So even though Connor's going to be perceived as a power back, I kind of watched him and got a little bit of a Jeremy Hill vibe to his running style. And I don't mean that as a negative because Jeremy Hill's really fallen off. But James Connor could be a guy that sneaks into the third round fourth round of the NFL draft and a team gets a steal with a viable running back that falls forward for yardage is obviously a hard worker and has produced at the college level. And like you said, he flashed a receiving prowess, which was sort of a question mark because prior to this last season, he had nine receptions. So it was good to see him nearly triple that this year. So James Conner is one of those guys that you said is probably going to be a later pick in dynasty drafts, but definitely not somebody you should overlook. This is the dawn of a new day with running back prospects. Gone are the days when a team would draft a Jeremy Hill in the second round. Just a pure grinder prototype. One-dimensional, between the tackles, plotting big back. Plotting pounder. That's not what we're seeing in this draft class. Jeremy Hill's college target share was only 7%, 39th percentile. The big backs in this class are explosive and they're active in the passing game. This is a revolution that we're seeing. The influx of talent at the running back position is going to change the entire landscape of the position this offseason. The camp battles that you're going to see, the depth chart moves by rookies that we're going to experience are going to surprise a lot of people. Those of you that are relying on production from C.J. Anderson, Jeremy Hill, Frank Gore, Amir Abdullah, Paul Perkins, Rob Kelly, Latavius Murray, DeAndre Washington, Lamar Miller, Jay Ajayi. Who knows what these running backs' roles look like because they came into the NFL at a different time. Those running backs are looking more and more like anachronisms. Lamar Miller has never been active in the passing game. He wasn't with the Miami Hurricanes, he wasn't with the Miami Dolphins, and he wasn't with the Houston Texans last year. All the running backs in this class seem to be catching 20 or more passes at the college level, including the 230-pound backs. And other running backs in this class that are as impressive. Let's let's talk about another one here. How about Marlon Mack? There's another one. 28 receptions last year. I just want to say this about Marlon Mack. It seems like at times we give more leniency to running backs not named Zach South Zenner. Florida is not a small, small school. Small schools. Than South we do Florida's wide receivers. in a major conference. So I don't know what you're talking about calling South Florida a small school. South Florida is not South Dakota State. Come on. 
Marlon Mack is the truth. Yeah, only 1,187 rushing yards, but that was only on 178 attempts. 6.8 yards per carry, 15 touchdowns with less than 100 touches. And his activity in the passing game was impressive because not only did he catch 28 passes, 227 receiving yards is 8.1 yards per reception. So he was incredibly efficient and he is an exciting talent like Elijah Hood, one of the few backs coming out early. And there's reason to be excited. These running backs are big. And if they're not big in the case of Marlon Mack, they play big. Marlon Mack plays a lot bigger, runs with more ferocity than you would expect from a 205-pound back. Yeah, Marlon Mack has good size, and the one thing about him, he is almost an anomaly in this draft class because he's six foot, 210 pounds, and this is a particularly big running back class in terms of weight when you have Hood and Foreman and Pirine and Fournette. It's top-heavy with larger running backs. It's just an incredible class, Nate. It's just an incredible class. We've never seen a class this big. We've never seen a class this athletic. We've never seen a class with this many slick receivers. Well, Marlon Mack has the ability to be one of those slick receivers. And the other day I was tweeting about him, and one of his teammates came to his rescue on Twitter. And here's what he had to say to me. He says, if given the same opportunity, Marlon Mack will produce on a similar level to David Johnson in Arizona. Who said this? I don't, I don't want to say his name. It was a teammate? It was a teammate of Marlon Mack's. That sounds like unbiased analysis. I'm not sure. I have seen Marlon Mack ranked as high as the running back three in this class. I think that that's too high. Marlon Mack definitely deserves to be in the top 10. We'll have to see what he does at the combine. He looks like a guy who could be incredibly explosive and and one of the underrated performers who could shock some people with what he does athletically. When I watched him, though, just like you said, Mack runs hard. And he's going to make you work even harder to bring him down. And that's super evident when you watch him play. And he truly does have a special explosiveness to him. The way that he gets behind his blockers and slows down and can perceive holes and wait for things to develop is really special too. He has really good long speed, but what is obviously most impressive about him is his short area quickness. You see him make really nice cuts around defenders. Again, when he's behind his blockers to get open to the outside. He does a lot of nice things, but one important note about Mac is how elusive he is behind the line of scrimmage. He regularly makes the first tackler miss, and even when the blocking breaks down, he does find a way to gain something out of what would normally be a loss, which is really important. A lot of these running backs, when you watch them, when the play breaks down, they don't have the ability to create on their own. And you definitely see it with Mac that even when trouble has him surrounded, he does find ways to at least get back to the line of scrimmage or advance even beyond that, even with poor blocking. So this guy's definitely a talent. Yeah, Rich Rebar on the show last week said that if Marlon Mack were on a better offense with a better offensive line, he would have looked a lot like Melvin Gordon. Stylistically, he reminded him of Melvin Gordon with a bad offensive line. And I like that comparison a lot. We'll see how he tests. We don't know how they're going to test. The audience knows. We don't know. It's incredibly frustrating to record now and not know. I'll bring it up again. That parallel that we talked about between Elijah Hood and James Conner, very close parallel. I also see a similar parallel between Marlon Mack and Aaron Jones from UTEP. Aaron Jones is another running back that came in heavier than he was posted earlier. We thought he'd come around 205, checked in at 208. Marlon Mack was at 205 on College Football Reference, checked in at the Combine at 210. And these are similar producers. 
Aaron Jones, 1,773 yards, 7.7 yards per carry, and like Mack, was in that 25 reception zone and 233 receiving yards, 8.3 yards per reception. So he and Mack had very similar production profiles. However, Aaron Jones was incredibly dominant as the focal point of that offense. UTEP was an anemic offense with the exception of Aaron Jones. Look at the dominator rating, 47% dominator rating. That's 95th percentile. The dominator rating for running backs on playerprofiler.com is the running back's percentage of total yards and total touchdowns compared to the entire offense. So almost half of the offense ran through Aaron Jones. That's impressive. That means he has a workhorse profile. Now we get to see, is he athletic? It's critical that Marlon Mack be athletic. And it's critical that Aaron Jones be athletic. But it's even more critical that running backs from the truly small schools are athletic. Because even UTEP is a Conference USA school. But we can now go to schools that are truly small. Non-Division One programs like Coastal Carolina, that's where D'Angelo Henderson went. His production profile, similar to his running backs we talked about, in that 1,200 to 1,500 yard range, over 6.0 yards per carry, and his receptions between his sophomore and senior years varied from 33 to 40 to 20. So another back who was active in the passing game while posting an impressive overall production profile But it's even more important for a small school player like D'Angelo Henderson to test well. I don't know what to think about him. If he's fast and he's quick and he's explosive, I'm going to like D'Angelo Henderson because I like the fact that he's a prototypical back from the 2017 class, just an all-terrain talent succeeding in all phases of the game. So many of these backs succeed in all phases. It's stunning and exciting. And D'Angelo Henderson is a thick profile, 5'8", 210, really has the Maurice Jones-Drew body type. But what I noticed first when I watched Henderson is good open field footwork and elusive in space, soft hands as a pass catcher. As you noted with his receptions, he has 97 career receptions, had as many as 40 receptions back in a single season. Um, One thing that stood out to me that I know is going to piss some coaches off, though, in the future is that Henderson has a propensity to bounce most runs to the outside. It doesn't appear that he's afraid of making contact inside, but oftentimes it didn't matter. He was redirecting runs to the outside rather than the design running lanes that were open for him. I don't know that it's something that can't be fixed. He's quick to the edge, so it worked out for him successfully. But this is another smaller school guy with a great receiving profile, and I kind of put him in that Jalen Richard archetype where he could be a spark off you know, the bench as a spelled third down back, potentially get some first and second down carries if the drive called for it. But this is, again, a late round guy from a small school, but he has a great profile. We don't know if he's a late round guy yet because we haven't seen him test. What we know is 40 receptions in one season in college. 45.4%, 94th percentile dominator rating, so very much like Aaron Jones in terms of his production profile, but unlike Aaron Jones, he has a much higher BMI, so even though he's only 208 pounds because he's 5'7", 32.6 BMI, 93rd percentile, he has that Maurice Jones-Drew body type, as you said, so super efficient, incredibly productive in college, all that's missing is the production. 
And I understand he's old. D'Angelo Henderson's 24 years old. But David Johnson was an old prospect too. So I'm not as concerned with age with the running backs as I am with wide receivers. If a wide receiver breaks out at a late age like Kevin White, that's a death sentence. Breakout age is incredibly indicative of future production at the NFL level for collegiate wide receivers, wide receiver prospects. It's not the same. It's not nearly as predictive for running backs. Which brings me to North Carolina State's Matt Days. Here we have a running back who is relatively small, was not efficient, 4.7 yards per carry, doesn't seem to bring a lot to the table, but then you look at the reception totals, oh my, Mm. 32 receptions, 24 receptions, then in his final season, 32 receptions, but yet another running back who did not come out early, wasn't a prolific producer in terms of counting stats, but he could be a satellite back at the next level. He could be someone to monitor because he's so active in the passing game. And he is active in the passing game. And I will say this, Matt, I looked at his game log, and if you're going to quiz me, I'm ready. And he had a great game against numerous top-ranked defenses against Florida State, 104 yards, Syracuse, 108, North Carolina, 104 Notre Dame, 126. Clemson, 106. So the guy did beat up on good competition, and I realized that he only shows 4.7 yards per carry, but he was a workhorse against D1 top-ranked teams. The ACC in particular, the ACC had the best bowl record last season. They were the underrated conference in all of college football. You saw what Clemson did to Alabama. ACC was a difficult conference to succeed in, Lots of very underrated defenses in particular. That's another reason to like James Conner from Pitt and a reason to monitor Matt Days because 4.7 yards per carry against ACC defenses is not nearly the same as posting 4.7 yards per carry against Conference USA. Come on. feel to listen to the show for the first time i don't even recognize your voice i'm getting my fuck groove back uh final cut is determined by matt kelly and matt kelly only so you're not going to control when and where in the show a loser game show sound might emanate is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show but i don't drop it one time on this episode Not one time. What do you want, a cookie? Like a superhero arriving at the doorstep of this show. Fuck. You want to be that show that gets a prospect on the show? If I could get McNichols, oh my God, I love McNichols. I'm going to do my best to get McNichols on this show. Because I want to ask him about those vectors on the second level that he just doesn't see. Tell him that I'm a big fan. Does that help? 
When he's running between the tackles, he looks for the safety and just tries to make a collision happen. It's just odd. I'm like, why do you do that? You're so incredibly elusive in the passing game. How is it that when you're running between the tackles, you don't see these vectors? <laughs> My God, all right. The guy said if he's given the opportunity, he will produce similar to David Johnson in Arizona. That guy's full of shit. That was his teammate, and that's what he was saying. Exactly. He's not biased at all. That guy's full of shit. I'm going to put tape over my webcam and sink under my desk if you ask him why he's missing these vectors. Why do you have a magnetic attraction to opposing safeties? Why is there a gravitational pull between Jeremy McNichols and defenders in the open field? You couldn't have left more yards on the field as a runner last year. <laughs> right. I don't know, but I, I hope to God you don't ask him this. I'm going to do my best. I will work to get him on here. Adam Gaze said that Ryan Tannehill's injury will help him. It's made him more humble and therefore more coachable. How full of shit are these NFL coaches? Every time I think that a whole cohort of people in society couldn't be more full of shit than NFL coaches, they exceed even my wildest expectations for bullshit. They might as well just string words together at random. It would make more sense. Adam Gaze. Tannehill will always Tannehill. Tannehill gonna Tannehill, yo. You think he's not gonna Tannehill? Even Tannehill knows he's gonna Tannehill. Adam. Jamal Williams. We talked about him once and I compared him to Jonathan Williams. And then people on YouTube were criticizing me because they honestly believed that I was only comparing the two because of their name, not their stats or running style. That was the reason. It's not my fault they had the same last name. They are similar prospects. It's like if Elijah Hood was Elijah Connor. And I said, you know, oh, Elijah Connor, James Connor, similar prospects. I was thinking that regardless of the name, you assholes. And it's also Williams, for Christ's sake. It's not like it's Krakowski or something. That's what I do. That's Matt Kelly. That's my reputation. He just compares players based on last names. That's my reputation in the industry. You got me. An analyst, Adam Schefter right? Adam Kaplan. That's a football analyst. That's not a coach. Coaches are named something more close to Hank or Bill. I think we're generalizing here. I don't... You think that you think we're generalizing here? You think I'm generalizing? Ray. Now that's a coach name. How many Stevens are there? There's no Stevens. Hello, Steven. Hello, Coach Steven. No, it's Steve. The hard consonant. It's not Peter Carroll. It's Pete Carroll. Adam just sounds weak. How many head coaches have a thinning hairline and are named Adam that are successful? You're giving me a limited group to search through right now. You think? Uh, We're editing that out. That didn't make sense. Oh, God. Um... Um, I'm gonna just, um, not really. We're editing that out, that it makes sense. Oh, God. Uh, this guy right here could be the one guy that just kills the combine for the height weight. Not interesting to talk about height and weight and hand size. No, thank you. <laughs> How often do you have to talk about local? You can make up a lie better than me on this one. Yeah, who, who got the live read for this show? That was you. Think those things just grow on trees? 
I think I go to a live read tree and just pick them, right? I got a, a lime tree and an apple tree and a live read tree. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna just, uh, <laughs> um, I know I'm cool. If you believe that, you're an idiot. How does his aunt know what an agility score is? I don't know how she knows what an agility score is, but she knows agility scores. The Smith Schuster family are experts in agility scores. Uh, um, uh, um, I'm gonna just, uh, um, I know I'm cool. Not really. Do you know how ridiculous you sound? You are wearing a hoodie yourself. I'm not interested in hearing your speculative analysis about what Leonard Fournette might run based on what his dad said. That's not interesting. Bro, are you saying that Justin Bieber has fallen off? You know, not terrible. It's cancer. I've seen worse. Man, Matt Day's profile picture scared the shit out of me. If Chris Berman were still doing the draft and Matt Days were drafted, he might say, Matt Dazed and Confused. <laughs> what are we doing right now? Uh um uh, <laughs> um I'm gonna just uh <laughs> um uh your joke about not listening to the show that was you turning the corner that was a seminal moment for the show that's when you finally got what we're doing here you finally understood your own show physiological expert Nate Liss is it my hoodie? Ha. Ugh. Ha. Ugh. so I like learning and I like writing you haven't had a chance to read my Dominator book? no the thing we talk about on the show all the time, you haven't read it? Are you still recording, Matt? You don't listen to the show. You don't use the website. You're such an asshole. Uh. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> People wonder, like, eh, why don't you be nicer to Nate? I was like, nicer to Nate if he did his job. And he's just like motoring around doing donuts in his speedboat. Doesn't care. Yeah, just wearing douchey clothes and not caring about the show. Just uh, whatever. I'm sure Matt will figure it out. <laughs> Here we go. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm water skiing behind the boat. You're going through like rock formations. Uh. Here we are. Look, it's a success. Uh. Uh. It's a well-oiled show. What? I use the cliches too much, don't I? But you use cliches in weird times, like a well-oiled show? It is. It's greased up. You spend too much time in tanning salons and gyms. You're like Jersey Shore West. I'm pumping everybody up all the time. What do you think Jeremy McNichols' three-cone drill is going to be? Is this a real question? Or is this a... No, it's not a real question. I don't care what you think Jeremy McNichols is going to do in the three-cone drill. We'll wait until he runs the three-cone drill. Then we'll write the time down. Then we'll know the time. We don't need to speculate what it might be based on what his nephew thinks he's going to do. You know, you did a calculation based on some tape you watched. Uh. Um. Uh. <laughs> um. I'm going to just... Uh. <laughs> um, uh, I know I'm cool. 
Not really. Do you know how ridiculous you sound? Well, I don't listen to the show, so... (laughs) 